0: Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from to love Honor, and Vacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence based, biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. And today, to start off, I have a special segment with my daughter, Rebecca, where she's getting just a little bit snarky, talking about one of her th- pet peeves about some Christian literature. But I need to tell you, we filmed this like I think two days before she gave birth. So she is still heavily pregnant in this segment, which probably impacts a lot of her attitude towards what she's talking about. Um, So for those of you watching on YouTube, you will notice that she is still heavily pregnant, but the baby is currently about four weeks old and she is lovely and she delivered nice and safely. So here we are. Get ready for the snark. I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach, who does not want to be here. No. No, because today is actually her due date. Yep. We are recording this on her due date. Just got a stretch and sweep. And she's she's incredibly not impressed.
1: I feel great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so we just thought that given her mood, <laughs> this might be a good podcast to do a little bit of a rant. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I thought <laughs> this morning as we were talking, two things kind of inspired the direction i thought we'd go for the next 20 minutes yes that sounds great so one of them was a graphic that we saw on facebook mm-hmm. where a quite a popular blog wrote this she who gladly looks to her husband for spiritual leadership will watch a spiritual leader emerge before her very eyes
1: yeah and that's just that's a thing that someone decided to write yeah so um, that's how i feel about that
0: <laughs> so you just need to look for something and you'll find it and it will appear yes it's like which is funny because
1: because that's all whole manifestation psychology stuff that christians think is all like witchcraft and demonology yeah
0: but we 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 embrace it when it comes to marriage it's like it's basically yeah. the secret like about money right like if you just be the kind of person that money will gravitate to then you will find money if you let you know mm-hmm. so we just need to to look at our husband as if he's the leader. and But then... also
1: like you could say that about literally anything. Like look to your golden lab
0: as a leader and you will
1: find ones. Like, yeah, because we, like if you decide to say this person is a leader and you define leader based on who that person is, then it doesn't matter how bad
0: of a leader they are. Mm-hmm. They are. And I think it's also that if you treat someone like they are a leader, they will enter into that. So I've heard, I've heard actually the same blogger talk about like, if your husband is, is playing a lot of video games, you know, instead of instead of lecturing him about the video games, you should just not make all the decisions and and leave the decisions to him.
1: That's a great idea if you want to ruin your Family, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know what—if you're at a work, think think about this in a work situation. You have one coworker who always shows up late, mm-hmm. who never remembers to finish the project, mm-hmm. who always has technical difficulties the day of because he never actually prepared ahead of time, and you have like an end of year presentation for like the CEO of the company, and you're like, you know what? we're going to give this guy a chance to be a leader.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you leave it all in his
1: hands. And you say, you know what? We're not going to say anything. We're not going to lecture mm-hmm. him about how he's been late for work. We're just going to give him an opportunity to show us that he can do it. What's mm-hmm. going to happen? The CEO going to close your branch. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah. Th- like it, it, it,
1: these, these are things where we need to recognize that people's behavior... Tells us who they are.
0: Right. And you cannot simply magically change someone by pretending they have different behavior. Yeah. And that's basically what this is is telling you to do. is like pretend someone is in a way other than what they actually are. It's so
1: passive aggressive anyway. And it's so patronizing. And it just leads to so much resentment and failed Mm -hmm. expectations. And
0: yeah. Now, along with this Facebook post was a longer blog post that was written by Barbara Rainey. Mm Mm-hmm. About what to do if you don't feel like your husband's a spiritual leader. Yes. And it's interesting because each of her action steps are all <laughs> about changes that you make, but you never actually convey to him. That anything is wrong. Yeah, like
1: you don't, one of the action steps is not talk to your husband about his passivity. Yes. That's not, that's not an action step. No. Because then you wouldn't be treating him like a leader. Right. Because. So you, you
0: never actually address anything with your husband. The only thing you do is change your own expectations, your own viewpoint, your own interpretation of the situation. And what I find is that this is really common in Christian literature. And that's yeah. the second thing that prompted this conversation mm-hmm. was an email that we got, or was it a comment? I don't know. You're the one who posted it on Facebook. Okay. Right. Where <laughs> and, and it was brilliant what I posted on Facebook. Let me read it. <laughs> Do you find a lot of Christian marriage books are focused on getting the wife to put up with things happily and change expectations rather than change the dynamic in the marriage? A woman commented to me on Instagram, my husband is a wonderful man, but we've had some problems as any married couple does. And I just feel like I am constantly seeing or hearing things telling me how I can do better instead of maybe how I can actually address issues with him and make progress constructively and call him to be the man that I know he is. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we could talk while you're in this mood about (laughs) why it is that often Christian books really seem geared to getting women to put up with what's going on in their marriage, rather than give constructive help to how to address these issues.
1: Yes, okay, so the first thing, I mean, the overarching thing that I think is happening, which I've talked about before on here, Mm -hmm. is that the evangelical goal Mm -hmm. for marriages Mm -hmm. is not that they're healthy, it's that they don't get divorced, Mm -hmm. right? So a successful marriage is one that lasts until you die, regardless of how the dynamics are. Yeah. And yep. we actually do see that. like, And they, they say things like marriage is a gift and all that kind of stuff. But when you actually look at a lot of what is in these books, it's like that's not a good marriage. They are mm-hmm. just not divorcing. Right. And that's a success. Right. Right. So we're not warned a ton about like, you know, not helping each other with your burdens. As a married couple, or like not thriving, or not helping each other reach your potential, we're warned against not divorcing, and that's it. Yeah. Even abuse victims are warned against not divorcing. Like, that's how much the evangelical world is currently... Right. Making that the focus. His focus on the family still doesn't actually, quote unquote, allow abuse victims to divorce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have to separate Mm -hmm. and then go back together when the abuser is repentant. Right. Which is just, that's, so that's what I mean. Like Our overarching goal is that the couple does not get divorced. So with that being the overarching goal, the first thing that happens is women buy books and men don't. Yes. For the most part. Yes. Like men obviously do buy books, but it's also what kind of genres do people buy? Yeah, I
0: read that um, when it comes to nonfiction self-help, women buy 76% of them. And I would assume that in Christian circles, it's even higher because Christian women's Bible study groups tend to do self-help books as a curriculum whereas men's bible study groups first of all there are far fewer of them yeah and then when they do meet they tend to do more scriptural stuff now just as a shout out if you happen to be part of a women's bible (laughs) study group we do have a free eight-week video study that goes along with the great sex rescue yes (laughs) and we will put a link to that and you know what if
1: you run a men's bible study group and you want to really
0: shake things up yes it is or or a couple small group you go for it but that's definitely a factor is that is that I think women are more likely to read these books and women are more likely to read them in context with other women and discuss them. Yeah,
1: and that's and that's because of our culture and socialization. Yep. We mm-hmm. we see that women from as early I believe the studies that I saw said as early as age 10, mm-hmm. the friendship dynamics already start to shift between boys and girls where girls become more emotional focused, they become more talking about self-improvement, they want to focus on relationships mm-hmm. and boys um, tend to stay relatively surface level friendships where you 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 still connect over activities versus over emotional Mm-hmm. Um, connectedness that obviously is not oh every single kid situation but in in terms of trends between the gender and
0: actually you were gonna post about this when the baby comes like not right now about how much more emotionally mature boys are that you've seen on the playground lately well just kids in general kids yeah kids in general i know it's just i I, like
1: like my husband and i've been saying like kids these days are just like a new breed
0: Mm -hmm. of children Mm -hmm. it's it's
1: ridiculous like there's so much more emotional conversation happening from young young ages
0: yeah which is great because that's what we need is for people to understand their emotions be comfortable with their emotions and then talk about it but Mm -hmm. um but yeah, there is a lot of very one sided advice, which seems like it's mostly geared to telling women just put up with this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, so the first, the first reason I think that happens is, again, the socialization that happens, both in general culture, mm-hmm. but also in the church, Yeah, right? Because, once again, in the general culture is, you know, women are the ones who care about their relationships, and they do all the touchy-feely emotional things, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So you have that, So which means we buy more self-help books. And also, uh, socially speaking, there's so much more pressure on women to have things all together, to have the nice house, to have the fashion mm-hmm. sense, to look like you, quote-unquote, have it all to be an instagram girl, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas for dudes, you don't have as much of that pressure. Yes. Their pressure is mainly work related, which is why work type of books and those kinds of books actually do sell quite well among men. Yes. Um mm-hmm. and so so we see we see that trend as well. So anyway, the first thing, social pressure, all that stuff, but then on the evangelical culture on top of it, mm-hmm. you also have this pressure to have the perfect marriage and you're not allowed to divorce. Yes. And so you have all of these women who are Desperate to have this perfect marriage. Mm -hmm. They're given an idea of what a perfect marriage should look like, which is entirely just unattainable Mm -hmm. if you want to have an emotionally healthy relationship. But they're also supposed to have an emotionally healthy relationship. And they're not allowed to ever actually consider doing anything to actually fix the problem because that might lead to them divorcing.
0: Or or it might be seen as being disrespectful because yes. that's the other element in the evangelical conversation, which is that men are in leadership over women. Yes. And so women cannot speak up. And so all of these books try to get women to accept where they're at or else tell them how to be passive aggressive. And we had another yeah. podcast on that a couple of months ago, which I'll put a link to on how a lot of advice for women does teach them how to be passive aggressive yeah. because you can't ask for what you want. And so the only way for you to get it is by hinting or you know, being around the bush or whatever, and you can't just be outright. Yeah, because that's the second point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the
1: second reason why we see it all towards women is because we have this weird power dynamic in evangelical marriages where husbands lead and have res- and have respect and authority and decision-making mm-hmm. power and women don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, frankly, when you set up any dynamics that one person has more power than the other, but they both have, like, everything to lose mm-hmm. if, this all goes away, like the mm-hmm. whole, again, the whole divorce is the worst thing that could ever happen to you evangelical mm-hmm. stuff, then what happens? You, you tell the woman with, the, with less power how to fix it, yeah. right? Because she has no choice. Yeah. You know, a lot of times also, let's also consider that it's more likely that a woman is financially dependent on her husband than the other mm-hmm. way around. Obviously, mm-hmm. it happens both ways. Yeah. But it's more likely, and also you have women who are, f- like, physically dependent because, I'm sorry. Again, <laughs> like, I am, I am a very independent woman <laughs> who currently needs my husband to carry laundry baskets down the stairs for me. Right. Because otherwise, I strain... Yes. A muscle, yes, in places where muscle should never be strained. Uh, <laughs> pregnancy sucks, guys. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: no, but like I think there's there's a level where women are naturally have less power in the evangelical marriage sphere because of how our marriages are set up. So mm-hmm. it makes no sense to tell men how they should change because they have power. Why would they change?
0: Right, right, mm-hmm. like
1: they're happy.
0: Mm-hmm. For the most part.
1: Like, all this evangelical mm-hmm. marriage advice is about make sure he's the king, make sure he gets sex, and mm-hmm. make sure that he's respected, and make sure that you have, like, you know, a nice home for your husband. Yeah. And it's like, that why, that's that's the ideal evangelical marriage, so why yeah. does he need to change? Yeah. Right? He has nothing to lose by not changing. Because he still gets sex, he still gets to have the authority, he still gets to have the nice family, and he still gets to, Mm -hmm. you know, do what he wants. Whereas women are saying they're drowning Mm -hmm. and... How are you supposed to convince a man who the church has convinced for years and years and years that he deserves everything, that he should have to do more childcare or housework and that he mm-hmm. should take initiative on it? Or yeah, like that it's not some weird gender essentialism thing that women are simply more nurturing or simply more focused on the home and that's mm-hmm. how God made them. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Anyone who knows me knows that I am not naturally focused on the home. Okay? No. Like, it's not a gender there's thing. There's been major nesting stuff going on. Oh lately. my goodness. That we've all
0: been laughing at. Yeah, <laughs> I know. For once, there's
1: not rotting grapes in the back of yeah. my fridge for like, for Time but this
0: is very convenient yeah. to to make it sound like women are naturally like this. So therefore, why should men have to do it? Because women actually like this. And and this is the problem with so much of the advice that's, that's being given is, hey, women, if he's not a leader, just believe he is. Yeah, because you
1: can't actually ever say anything. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you might acknowledge that there are some guys who don't fit our little gender essential yeah. or
0: or that there are major problems in the relationship. Yeah, that well needs that gets into in the third with.
1: point. Okay, what's your say. third point? So first point is we're socialized from a very young age that women care about relationships and put all the effort in and care about like these little things like cleaning your room and organizing your room and men don't. Mm-hmm. And then you have the evangelical kind of like culture of how men have power and women don't. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to try to get someone to change, it's going to be the one without the power, right? right? Then the third aspect is that you really genuinely can only change your own actions. Yes. Yeah. And this is something like, where well, this is not necessarily a negative, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about why it's used as a negative, okay? Yeah. So, like, like, it's like Les- Leslie Vernick, I think, is the one who also says it, where it's like the only person you can change is yourself kind mm-hmm. of thing. I think most,
0: emotionally, most healthy. emotionally
1: healthy people, but I think Leslie yeah. is like the one that people most know about mm-hmm. saying that yeah. kind mm-hmm. of thing. But, like, it's, it's this idea that, you know, I might want a friend of mine to do x more but Mm -hmm. I like I might want to see them more Mm -hmm. but I can't sit there waiting at home just moping around waiting till they call I can just call yeah right like that's that's the idea of I can't change their behavior I can only change mine right however in marriages although this is true there's an aspect that we never talk about Mm -hmm. which is your spouse should care yeah like I can't force connor to change and Mm -hmm. connor can't force me to change Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but we care and so by saying you hurt me when you do this Mm -hmm. or this makes my life i feel
0: hurt when you do this which is the way you're supposed to say it not you hurt me when you do this but i feel hurt when you do this
1: yeah technically that's the emotionally healthy way to say it i meant i meant like like legitimately like this particular thing was hurtful but yeah, yes. but even then, I feel hurt when you do this. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, Con and I are very direct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think maybe we just passed the level of vulnerability where we just say it all. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. No, but anyway. So, no, but like when we talk about things where it's like my life is untenable right now because of X and Y. So, mm-hmm. I need you to help me fix this. Mm-hmm. You know? We might, like, fight for a little bit about what is the fair amount of, you know, balance. Mm -hmm. Or we might try to, like, we might be in a bit of a rough patch as we're figuring out new things. But I can rest in full assurance that my words will change things because I have a husband who cares. And he can do the same thing. Like, when he says, Rebecca, you're doing this right now. And this is how I'm seeing it affect the family. Mm -hmm. You know? I'm like, yeah. I don't want to hurt the family. I don't Mm -hmm. want to hurt you. I don't Mm -hmm. want to set up bad Um, dynamics and so I am going to change even if it takes a while or even Mm -hmm. if it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. right and and I think this is the part that's that's different is no you cannot change anyone else's behavior you cannot but if you are in a healthy marriage your emotions your experience and your opinions should change your spouse yeah and that's the difference is I think no you can't necessarily change your spouse but if you can't change your spouse
0: you are not in a healthy marriage yeah does that make sense yeah and I think that's what we're afraid to deal with that is the big elephant in the room that we're afraid to deal with is that a lot of people are married to people who honestly don't don't care care. and that's a really hard thing to say and I'm not saying that you particularly listeners are in that situation but if you feel that you are please see a licensed counselor and talk it through because it's a lonely place to be in and it could be that there just have been a lot of hurts and emotions stuff in the background and you guys just aren't communicating right now or or it could be that this genuinely is an issue well and
1: if it genuinely is an issue it also might not be because of maliciousness there genuinely may be a a generational cultural thing like if you were raised in a home Mm -hmm. that was very emotionally closed off and where it was very strict gender roles and you want to be a better person and a better spouse but you genuinely don't know where to start yeah that you you also it's fair to need more than one conversation yeah You know, but here's, I want to explain this just a second because like this idea of sometimes you just don't care that what's the difference between not caring Mm -hmm. and not knowing how, Okay. right? Mm -hmm. So there's a concept right now everyone's talking about in the whole mental load kind Mm -hmm. of area called weaponized incompetence. Right. Okay. So Connor's fine with me talking about our whole thing because he's talked about before, but like when Connor and I got married, he did not know how to
0: do like any housework very well. Like
1: he could do all the individual things, but he couldn't like look Mm -hmm. at a bathroom
0: and mm-hmm. figure out what needed to get done. Yeah, if you right? said clean a toilet, he could clean a toilet, but he couldn't, yes. he couldn't go into the bathroom and make it all spick and span. Yeah, like, I
1: would have to give him a checklist of all the different things to do to clean a bathroom. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. now he does the baseboards without being asked, right? Right. So, like, yes. that's, that's the difference. So, yes. however, like, when we started first talking about, like, what does doing the dishes mean, he mm-hmm. had to learn that, yes, it also does mean that you have to clean the counters afterwards. Or, like, mm-hmm. you have to get the soap scum out of the sink. And... The difference is, are you doing things in a way that is purposefully, even if it's subconsciously purposefully, but like Mm -hmm. you're not doing it good enough because you know that your partner will step in and just do it. Yeah. I will be very honest. I do this with car everything. I, this is, and Connor has called me out on it. <laughs> yes. So like, yes. this is not only a male thing. <laughs> yes. yes.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, I don't know how to do the windshield wiper fluid. Yes, you do, Rebecca. I was like, okay, yeah. you know, I do. Um, no, but like the idea is if, however, after I'd shown him how to do something, he continuously left it or he said, mm-hmm. well, you just do it so much better than I do. Or, mm-hmm. you know, he's washing dishes and he purposefully like doesn't get all the mm-hmm. food off. or he's just obviously doing things half-heartedly when you know he's capable of doing more because frankly, he's a human being who's past the age of eight. Right. You know, those kinds of, that's weaponized incompetence. But my husband, when Connor was just genuinely like, I had never thought of it that way. And yes, it's kind of embarrassing that learning it at 22, but mm-hmm. here we are. Then if, if it improves every time, that's not weaponized incompetence in the same way. Like you're, your spouse is allowed to have a learning curve, is what I'm yes. saying. Yes. Right? Like with me, my stuff, because I'm pretty honest about this too, my stuff is mainly mental health related. Okay? You mm-hmm. don't simply snap out of having mental health issues because your spouse has a real talk with you once about how it's damaging yeah. the marriage. And I'm like, yeah, great. I'm cured now. No. But you work on it slowly and Mm -hmm. you get better and better and better. And because you're willing to work on it together, that's what it is. So Mm -hmm. we're not saying that it's one conversation and your words should magically change everything. Mm -hmm. Because that's not how people work. But we are saying that there is something called weaponized incompetence as well in relationships, in mental load, Mm -hmm. in like pretty much every single aspect of life and parenting, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know? And you get to call that out too and say, no, you are able to do better than this, mm-hmm. even now with your limited knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to expect you to actually do this. And if they don't care, there's nothing you can do to fix
0: that. Yeah. And if, if they don't care, there there isn't. And that's the problem. And this brings me to something else that I wanted to talk about. A lot of these posts where they won't give any help for women to address it with their husbands... Mm-hmm do talk about praying for God to change their heart. Yes. And that, you know, that it's, that God has the power to change his heart in a way that you never will. And so you need to put it in God's hands. God doesn't change hearts, not in the way that we think. God gives people free will. We we know scripturally that he can soften hearts and he Mm -hmm. can harden hearts, but ultimately that decision is up to the person. Yes. And... I think we believe that if we pray hard enough, God will intervene and change free will. And it kind of is like we're treating God like
1: magical sky daddy.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know, sometimes you still have to do the hard work yourself. Mm -hmm. And, And I think this idea that I don't need to bring this up with my husband. I just need to give it in prayer because God can change him so much better than I ever could. God doesn't change people's hearts. If he truly doesn't care, if he's truly abusive, God, God will lets let him. him. God lets him be abusive. Now God might, God hopefully, and I pray that he will, will also put people in your life to help protect you and bring yes. you to safety. Um, and this podcast might be part of telling you, hey, it's time to get to safety. Yeah. Um, but like, I just, I, I think that's important that we realize that we are putting things on God because we don't want to admit to ourselves that there's some work we have to do. There's some work that we have
1: to do, or there's steps we have to take that are really scary.
0: Yeah, um, and and maybe that needs to be an admission. That there's something really wrong with our marriage because yeah. the majority of marriage advice aimed at women is just about accept where things are at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like then- and like, let's just be clear here for the the slightly
1: heretical stuff. So we do believe God transforms hearts. God changes people. We believe in a sanctifying, transformational mm-hmm. faith. But what we're saying doesn't happen is, you know, you can't, like, you can't, in essence, pray away someone's free will. That's what we're yeah. just saying. And, like, while God transforms you and sanctifies you, you still need to be open to God. Yeah, like, the like behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, yeah. they have
0: to open the door. And God does not intervene in free will. Yeah. Um, and, and so some people choose... To block themselves off from God. And, and that's not because to you did the bribes of selfishness. And that isn't on you. No, like it's if not because you didn't pray enough. Yeah, if your husband does that, that is not on you. If your children do that, that is not on you. But
1: that's why all these books are all focused on women, right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: first of all, we do know as well that the
1: majority of divorces are um, instigated by women, mm-hmm. which once again makes sense because you're in a situation where a lot of times the woman is just so overwhelmed or being mistreated and she finally has enough you know that's that's often what we see in divorces Mm -hmm. um and so the christian marriage world which believes that divorce is the the main thing to avoid yeah sees women as the problem yeah Um, and so
0: and so this is this is a big thing that i would like to propose okay so this is sheila's view of history in a (laughs) nutshell and how marriage has been transforming so it used to be that we got married out of necessity Mm -hmm. so it was just sheer survival (laughs) you couldn't survive on your own um you needed a partner and it didn't really matter who that partner was you often had limited options (laughs) you know oleg who had the farm next to you and had a pig (laughs) and And be like whatever right like you just you marry out of necessity and that's it and then as we got richer we started to get the the chance to marry for love and you got to to choose to marry for love and that's what we did that didn't work tremendously well because there wasn't an underpinning of emotional health there it was like we're just simply marrying because we we are infatuated with this person but then The marriage doesn't necessarily last. And I think what we're moving into now is a new phase where it's not that we're getting rid of love, it's just that we're adding something else to it, which is that we want to marry because it will enrich our lives. And because we love the person. And because we love the person, because like both of those things, because being with this person will enrich my life in a way beyond just I feel loved. And and in a Christian sense, what we mean by that is that God has a calling on our life and, and on my life and I feel like I can serve God with abandon better with this person by my side. Like, I feel like the calling that I'm having, this being with this person improves my life in such a sense. And it gives me passion to do work for God and all of that. Yeah, and that doesn't mean
1: that you can do more work for God no, together. Cause actually no, we know that you biblically, generally, you do less work for God. Right. Um, but in terms of like kind of your, your life and your orientation towards Christ, kind of like, like the way, the way I've, I've looked at it is kind of like we used to, we had it all pragmatic where it's like they have four cows and Mm -hmm. 17 goats, you know, and like back in my my little peasant English ancestors, Um, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then we had the whole, you know, very, very heavily romance kind of focused area for a long time. And now what I'm kind of hoping we can get to is this point where we fall in love with someone desperately head over heels, because they've passed this threshold of like this is a safe, yes. healthy person mm-hmm. who is you know a good and a, like a competent partner. Yes. So it's kind of like you fall head over heels in love with the people with whom it is emotionally right. healthy to because, fall And this is
0: you. this is the key because right now in today's society, everybody is okay on their own. Yeah. Like, pretty much. Now I'm not saying it's easy. No, but in terms of, like, are you going to die? You're not, like, like yeah. women can support themselves, men can support themselves, and yeah. you can even support kids. Again, not, not easy. easy. <laughs> not easy. But, like, Becca follows a ton of women on TikTok from Africa who have chosen not to marry, but instead to adopt all these kids. I know, they,
1: they're amazing. Anyone who wants to follow Dora, I'll, I'll yeah. put her, I'll put her um,
0: TikTok link in this. I know some single women who are professionals in the town that I live in who um, are older, just didn't think marriage was in their future. And so they've adopted out of the foster care system to give yeah. kids a home and, and, and to build a family that way. And so we know <laughs> that you can actually have a family on your own. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to marry, <laughs> it has to be because it helps our lives be richer and more fulfilled so that in the Christian sense, we can now be salt and light in the world. If by marrying you create so many more problems for yourself and you drain yourself of energy that you become inward focused rather than being salt and light in the world that's going to be more and more untenable. Well, and it's
1: also just, it's just terrible because you're sitting in this thing that's supposed to be a blessing.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: and every day you're kind of like, this isn't a blessing.
0: No, it's a lot harder. And so what I'm hoping is that as a Christian church, we can stop talking about marriage as being the end all and be all. Mm-hmm. And we can start talking about emotional and spiritual health yes. as being the end all and be all. And have marriage be a part of that for some yeah, people. Because as you get emotionally healthy, as you get spiritually healthy, we're going to naturally want to marry anyway most of us okay but until there's that emotional and spiritual health marriage is not going to fix anything no and, and I,
1: also then it'll it'll help like have a church culture where singleness whether
0: it was by choice yeah. or not is mm-hmm. also
1: something where you still belong
0: yeah because the focus is not on marriage and having these relationships endure no matter what and uh, by the way i'm not saying we should all go out and get divorced if you're miserable uh, that's not what i'm saying i've said many things about divorce i do think marriage is a serious commitment please see a licensed counselor if you're in that situation i can't give advice for any particular marriages but i do think that so much of the advice given to women is just endure more just don't Mm -hmm. expect anything and it's like okay you must be in a really terrible emotionally unhealthy relationship yeah it's like
1: the (sighs) reason that i love my marriage so
0: much is that frankly it rises to my expectations? Yes. And 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 I can when I'm upset, I can talk to my husband yeah. and things change. And so instead of focusing so much on marriage as being this big blessing that's great for everybody, because for a lot of people it's not. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it drains you. Let's work on getting people emotionally healthy, especially our teens and young people, so that when they get married, <laughs> our advice is not focused on that. And you can't be emotionally emotionally healthy, by the way. In an uneven power differential. And so we need to deal with that as well. This probably means we need to overall overhaul how we do youth groups because a lot of youth groups are run by people that are quite emotionally (laughs) immature. And that's not, I know there's a lot of amazing youth pastors. I don't mean to insult all youth pastors. But frankly, the amazing youth pastors know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Probably all the amazing youth pastors can name a ton of (laughs) terrible youth pastors. And, um, you know, so, so I think, I think, pushing for emotional health and getting more of an idea of what that looks like as opposed to all of these books that actually move people away from emotional health into magical thinking mm-hmm. oh god will change their heart when or he doesn't like, interfere with free yeah, will if or I, I just treat think him, him like a leader and he'll be a leader instead of playing video games six hours a day that's magical thinking and it doesn't deal with the real issue
1: yeah and i think if we were able to focus more on emotional health we wouldn't need these books as much anyway
0: yeah. By popular demand, I have a special announcement. We now have merch in the store. We've got some incredible things that we've prepared for you that you can get on mugs, on t-shirts, on canvas bags, even some on um, that you can hang on your wall in canvas about what it means to be a biblical woman. And my favorite, our top seller so far, we just put these out this week, is what it means to be a biblical woman woman if you're watching on youtube um, that is now up on the screen and i will read it out to you so that you can all hear it because i absolutely love this be a biblical woman love like ruth hope like anna lead like deborah prophesy like miriam believe like elizabeth pray like hannah teach like priscilla convict like zipporah give like the widow protect like abigail minister like tabitha serve like martha Support like Joanna, exhort like Phoebe, mentor like Lois, show hospitality like Lydia, win battles like jail, say no like Vashti, stand up like Esther, seek justice like Tamar, choose God like Rahab, speak truth like Huldah. Work hard like Tryphena and be devoted to our Savior like the Marys. And you can get that. That is all about what biblical womanhood really means. Um, You can get that on a t-shirt, on a mug, however you want it. I just love that. It makes a great Christmas stocking stuffer. We also have a lot of other designs that are available, including some super fun stickers that you can put up um, saying that certain um, books are toxic and even our love and respect thing because healthy people need both. So you can get love and respect on um, mugs, on t-shirts, whatever, because healthy people need both. So go on over to the store. I'll put some link in the podcast notes on where you can get our merchandise. And now we have a special interview with a professor from a seminary and her story, she emailed me and it just made me so happy about what Great Sex Rescue is doing that I wanted to have her on the podcast to tell you all about it. Well, I am thrilled to welcome on the podcast today, Nicole Parker, who is an adjunct professor in religion at Southern Adventist University, and you teach on the biblical Bible and sexuality or... Something like that? I
2: co-teach sexuality and scripture class, and then I teach a separate class on biblical counseling that every pastor coming out of our university has to take.
0: All right. Well, that's great. And then
1: the other
2: thing that I am doing mainly now is I'm an author. Uh I'm writing the Tales of the Exodus series in which I'm basically striking at the heart of headship theology, but in story form so that kids Uh will get it. And you know, I guess. I basically kind of realized men were not going to listen to me unless my husband said, hey, I think she made a really good point there. Mm -hmm. Um, But along the way, I was teaching my kids a better theology, if you will. So long story short, I started writing the story of the Exodus through the eyes of the children of Joshua and Caleb, Mm. um, largely as a way to help kids heal from trauma, because I'm asking the big questions about why a God of love allows suffering and then right. giving the answers in the context of why did he leave them in slavery
0: and, um, what, and what age are the books for
2: Uh well on the back of the book it says nine to 109 because it's uh-huh. really for adults too but right. I find people tell me they're reading them with their six-year-olds a lot and even right. some people say they read them with their three-year-olds and up right love so it. I've, okay. had, I've had quite a few parents tell me that their kids are, you know, learning so much, but then they themselves are just blown away by the things that are in there. One woman wrote in one of the uh, recommendations on Amazon that she was reading the book with her daughter to help her daughter to enjoy, you know, the Bible. But along the way, as an abuse survivor, she began healing from abuse by reading my books.
0: Oh, that's Which wonderful. is totally my
2: goal. I'm trying to show yeah. a correct picture of the character of God. So my second book in the series Humble Stones is actually all about headship theology. It's just basically undercutting all of it by showing how God uses power. And that's the yeah. theme woven all the way through that God uses power to lift others up not to crush others down and
0: those who are following him will do the same with power. Awesome. So these books help people work through trauma, because that's your goal. But the reason I got in touch with you, or maybe the reason that you got in touch with me, I'm not quite sure how it all worked, was because you found The Great Sex Rescue. And it really changed how you taught your course, because you had been using resources that you weren't actually comfortable with. So can you tell us a little bit about what used to be the textbooks for your course that you and your husband taught?
2: Yeah, well, we've used different resources every year because we're never quite satisfied. We avoided like some of the stuff, you know, love and respect was never going to make it into my curriculum. I, I didn't like a lot of the resources that were out there on porn addiction, but the things that we found like Paul David Tripp were really good theologically, but a little dry for teenagers. Mm -hmm. And, um, so every year we've tried to switch things out. We're like, "Mm, sheet music has some stuff we don't like, you know, mm." it's not really a class for married people. Almost all of our students are still single, but, um, we just didn't find something that really covered what I wanted to cover on purity culture. We did use Elizabeth Elliot one year. And then both my husband and I were just like, eh, no, we were, we were trying to give, different perspectives so we'd have like three different textbooks but it's hard to have a broad picture so a a few years ago I was like honey we've just got to start doing a couple of classes on purity culture just straight up showing purity is Mm -hmm. something very different than purity culture Mm -hmm. so we started just doing it in class and cobbling together resources from podcasts and um Things that we could find online because we can never find books that were
0: quite what we were looking for. Right. And then this year happened and yes. all of these things were published all at the same time that completely <laughs> rocked the world. So, yes. um, can you just tell me what did you read first? Was it Great Sex Rescue or was it? Beth Allison Barr or it
2: was was the great sex rescue that I read first my friend Mm -hmm. Sarah said oh you've got to read this book it's fantastic I'm pre-reading it it's not released yet I'm like please please give me a copy and I started reading and I just kept going yes yes that is it that's what I've been saying that's what I felt you know as a, a wife you know I've been married for 20 years to my wonderful husband who's a pastor who's a godly man who never bought into headship theology I was the one That kept saying, well, he's the head of the home, he's the one who is in charge, and he was like, well, actually, I don't think so, I think we just need to make decisions together, and so I kept trying to prop him up in this position, because that's what I had been trained I was supposed to believe. Mm -hmm. you know, and as a young virginal wife, I was prepared to give my husband all the sex he needed, but he just wasn't like that. He was just like, I just want to cuddle with you today. I just want to be with you. I love you so much, you know? So he wasn't this like almost sex crazed monster that I had been Mm -hmm. taught that men would be in purity culture. And it was honestly just so healing for me getting married Mm -hmm. to my husband, you know, when we were dating, Um, and I was just telling him, well, look, I've been sexually abused. I don't know how that's going to come out when I actually am experimenting sexually when I'm actually married. And he was like, we'll just work through it. Whatever happens, we'll just work through it. He said, if if we can't have sex for the whole first year of our marriage, so what? I just want to be with you. I love you. And I was like, wow. Okay. I want to marry you. (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. On our wedding night, he actually, he'd probably be so embarrassed. He's a British gentleman, you know, but we share this in our class on our wedding night. He'd already told me ahead of time. We are not going to have sex the first night because I want you to just warm up, feel comfortable. This was totally his idea. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, but what if I want to? And (laughs) he's like, well, at least not until after midnight. (laughs) (laughs) So that was our agreement. We just cuddled and actually cried because we were talking about all the people we'd just seen at our red wedding reception, all our wonderful family. My husband's from Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And so he had just met all these friends and family. And that night he's like, wow, you know, we just have such wonderful friends and family and started crying a little bit. And I started crying. And then I burst out laughing. I'm like, this is not what they think we're doing. Sitting here <laughs> crying about <laughs> missing them all." <laughs>
0: So that was your experience. And yet, what did you see in the marriage books and sex books that you were reading for your professional career?
2: Yeah, well, honestly, we just kept looking through books and going, well, this one has a good section here, you know, so we were doing some of the like LaHaye books and things like that recommending kids, we do a lot of premarital counseling, we do marriage and family seminars. So we would you know, talk about some of the things like I never, I never could honestly stomach love and respect. I read little (laughs) bits of it. And I was just like, this is not my husband. This is not my marriage. This just must not be us, you know, Mm. but we would still teach some of those things in seminars. And honestly, Mm. I really hated the chairs acronym about how men need conquest and hierarchy and all that. But it was only when I read the great sex rescue that I was like, Oh, I actually don't have to tell people, yeah, that must be way, the way most men are, even though mine's the anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just struck me well, where would Jesus be in this? Did Jesus crave conquest, hierarchy? Did Jesus have to mm-hmm. have sex? These are not needs. This is not something a godly man would even set up for himself. So it yes. just was such a contrast, such a refreshing difference. Some of the other books that I had read. There would be, you know, some really good things on. Well, here's what the anatomy is like and what to expect and you need lubrication and things like that. So when we would do premarital counseling we would tell people well you know you need to read some of these and then one of the couples I did premarital counseling for actually pushed back. She said, you know, we read that book and there were just some things I really didn't like. in it. I don't even remember which one it was at that point, mm-hmm. but it just made me start thinking, you know, you're right. There's stuff in there. I'm not comfortable with, but it was only when I started reading the great sex rescue that I kept going. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's what I've always been uncomfortable with. You know, I have two teenage daughters and two teenage sons. And I don't find the boys to be more sexual than the girls, not at all. They're, they're just wonderful. Now my boys are 14 and 16. They're, they're still kind of in the girls have cooties phase, Mm -hmm. but they're, you know, I have watched my sons and I never told them to do this, but I've watched my sons when we've been watching like videos on YouTube with somebody with maybe a low cut shirt and then an animal crawls down in it or something. And, and I've seen them just look away. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell them to do that, but they didn't want to look at something that they felt was inappropriate. And this is at 13, 14 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, the age that people are telling you, oh, boys are just all over sex, but they weren't, you know, we talked about the facts of life from an early age and answered any questions they ever had. And I just, so I've been questioning for years. It's like, This doesn't make sense. My husband's not like those men in all the books. And now my sons aren't either. And when I read the great sex rescue, I was like, we're normal. This is what healthy is supposed to look like.
0: I actually had the same experience in a way. I remember um, I was speaking, I've been speaking at marriage conferences since 2005, I think. And we were using, we started off using the family life US um, curriculum and I would teach it and I would teach it like it was true, but the whole time I was teaching it, I was like, "But you know, this isn't actually what we do. Like, we don't, this isn't the way we yeah. resolve conflict. This isn't what we do. Um, and I, I would teach the whole, he needs respect and admiration while she needs yeah. love. You know? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't actually, like in our marriage, it was more flipped. Um, but yeah. I, again, I thought, well, we must just be the anomaly as opposed to understanding, no, hold on a second. Healthy people need all of these things. <laughs> and right. and, and it, it, we shouldn't be talking in such gendered terms. Um, but I used to do that too. And because it was everywhere, like the foundation for basically all evangelical books is this assumption that the genders are all, all men are this way, all women are this way. And because they're built on that faulty assumption, none of them, really sat well with me. Like you said, I would find bits that I liked from everything, but I never felt like I could relate. Right? Yeah, that's the thing.
2: When you're in a healthy marriage, you get a certain perspective that you're just like, Ooh, That sounds distasteful, but I guess that's the way men are. That's just the way Mm -hmm. most men are. Good luck with finding a good one like mine because he's Mm -hmm. not that way. And Mm -hmm. it just never occurred to me to actually re-examine the whole system because it was so big, so overwhelming in all of the literature and all of the resources that I'd always
1: seen
0: hmm. So I know before we started recording, you said that um, in your classes, the, the students journal and what you're finding is, again, that those gender essentialism ideas are not correct.
2: Yeah, that was another surprise to me teaching this class. We've taught for several years and I just noticed, you know, I'm told, oh, the guys are all struggling with porn and they're so much more sexual and they're just battling, whereas mm-hmm. girls just aren't that way at all. But my students are writing journal entries regularly, telling us what's going on in their lives, what their struggles are. This is a really important part of our class for me, because a lot of mm-hmm. these students have come from Christian homes where their, their parents just didn't talk to them about sex. Mm-hmm. The sex talk is don't get anybody pregnant and don't get mm-hmm. pregnant and mm-hmm. things like that. And let's keep this as comfortable as possible by not talking. So they have questions. Right. But I found in their journal entries, the girls are just as um, just as embattled on sexual issues. They're struggling with pornography or they're struggling with sexual identity or they're struggling with guilt or shame. What I have found over the years in counseling young men and young women is that when a guy says I'm struggling with porn or sexual addiction or something, they almost always say, but I'm doing better than I used to. Whereas Mm -hmm. when a girl comes forward about porn or sexual addiction, there's incredible shame Mm -hmm. that they, some of them will say, I I wonder if maybe I'm a guy because I'm interested in porn or I'm struggling with sexual addiction, masturbation, these kinds of things girls have been given such an intense message that they aren't even sexual beings. And so that struck me Mm -hmm. for years. Like all the girls feel like they are gross It's almost like for men, we give the message, neither do I condemn me, like, well, you know, everybody's addicted to porn. Mm -hmm. And for girls, we give the go and sin no more message. But Mm -hmm. all of us need both halves of the gospel. Either one by itself is alive from the pit of hell. So how can we keep giving an unbalanced message to both of them telling guys, well, you're sexual beings, that's the way God made you, you're kind of supposed to be sexually addicted this Mm -hmm. is a need of yours and as soon as you get a wife you're going to be able to unleash your needs and i'm like well how does that possibly work Mm -hmm. in telling a young man to keep himself pure it just doesn't make any sense we've told them that god essentially set them up to sin and it's not even that bad and Mm -hmm. told young women if you struggle with sexual temptation you are sick beyond words and, and the reality is what I'm seeing in counseling with them and in reading their vulnerable journal entries, they're all struggling very similarly.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, one of the things that we've been trying to get to the bottom of is how do we um, influence what seminary professors, what resources seminary professors are using to teach in these courses? And I guess what really surprised to be was hearing that a lot of these books that I was critiquing, um, for what they said to married people were actually being used in seminaries. And it wasn't just yours. Like I, we looked at many, right. many, many course outlines that, yeah, that use love and respect and for women only and for men only and all of and every man's battle. Um, why, why do you think that, professors have embraced these books so much? Is it really just that there isn't anything else out there? Or do you think that most people do buy into them?
2: I think most people have never questioned the narrative. It never occurred to them. The vast majority of professors in religious environments are male. And um, so they just take it for granted that, well, that's just the way we are. Um, Mm. And they haven't actually stop to grapple with the fact that there's not a lot of research which is odd since they're largely researchers themselves but they usually have a specialty you know to become a professor you've got to go through your doctoral dissertation and all that basically you get almost myopic on a certain topic and Mm -hmm. it's easy to ignore some of the other things plus you know and this is where um dr Barr's book was just groundbreaking for me i have been taught all these things about Paul and things like that throughout scripture. And I had good answers to some of the, you know, the arguments while Paul is talking about certain situations, there's a cultural dynamic there. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we've been much more free putting women into ministry from the very beginning of our church. We were a social justice movement kind of church at the beginning. The first general Mm -hmm. conference president was part of the Underground Railroad. Um, Mm -hmm. So there was a very strong anti-slavery movement. And there were a lot of people who wouldn't join the Adventist church early on because we were so active in promoting women in ministry and saying women could speak. But our church has gone backward over the last few decades. And Mm -hmm. reading Dr. Barr's book, I was just like, literally screaming, yes, this is it, that's it, that's what was going on. Now I understand the context.
0: Yeah. And you're talking so, about Beth Allison and Barr's book, The Making of Biblical. Yes, One, right? yes. 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 I
2: read through that book nonstop. I opened it and could not mm-hmm. stop reading. It was actually terrible. I was at church. <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> I opened it on my
2: phone and then I just couldn't stop reading. I was like looking down and reading it on my phone during church instead of listening and then read all afternoon, got up the next morning, finished the last few pages, and then went right back through it as soon as I had finished. And was just highlighting, you know, sharing the highlighted passages, saving them, reading them over again. Um, And then I started on Jesus and John Wayne, which my 14-year-old son's reading now. Um, Mm -hmm. Just all of these things together. I was like, now this makes sense. This is a Christianity that was an unformed mass in my mind going, I know what makes sense. But all I can say is, well, I guess in the Bible times, they just didn't fully understand some of this. And now I realize, no, Paul was talking the way he was in a very mm-hmm. different context. He was actually sticking mm-hmm. up for women and not crushing them down. Anyway, just right. some things like that. I've seen it in Jesus in the mm-hmm. gospels, but it was harder to see it in some of acts and other places until I mm-hmm. read her book. And, and cool. also in the great sex rescue, it just helped me to really throw away once and for all that idea that God made men, these monstrous sexual beings who were always going to have this engine ready to roar into life and make them predatory.
0: Mm -hmm. Which Which is such a low, that's such a low view of men. It's such a terrible view of men. It is. I I don't understand why so many men (laughs) want to promote it, but anyway. So, um, so we have these seminaries where they still are using these outdated books with very little research. And if you were speaking to them um, and telling them the difference that some of the new resources have made on your class, like, what would you say? Well, first of all, why don't you tell us what some of the new resources that you're using are? Because it's not just The Great Sex Rescue, you're using other interesting books in your class this year, right?
2: Yes, I'm trying to remember exactly which textbooks we are using this year. We have one that's a story of um, a young man's journey through homosexual attraction. And and then we have The Great Sex Rescue. And I can't remember what the other one is that we're using this year. We've, we've switched out every year. I know, I know you talked to,
0: <laughs> I know I saw an email originally where you said like you've been reading Andrew Bauman's work and- um, yes. Michael John Kusick and some of those other people that, that Yeah, we, we yeah. have
2: another one on sexual addiction. I is it Heath Lambert's mm-hmm. trying to remember. We have another one that's a little bit dry, but has big, good biblical principles on how to overcome mm-hmm. sexual addiction because we try to have one resource on sexual addiction, one on LGBT plus issues in a biblical approach, and then we try to have one on general what does pure sexuality look like in a godly context? And then we'll add in magazine articles, um, Mm -hmm. online resources and things like that. And we have our students discuss and turn in papers, evaluating what they've liked, what they haven't liked in the, in the books. Generally, we've found that they will, they'll just find some of the resources that we feel are okay, are a little dry, but I'm never going to, you know, I've never used like every man's battle or something. Cause I was just like, no, even, mm-hmm. even, um, I was talking with the wife of, uh, the Dean at our, um, religion department. And she said, yeah, we were reading every man's battle once when our sons were teenagers and she hadn't, she'd never even heard of the great sex rescue. But she told me she mm-hmm. this, and she just said, we were just horrified. We were sick at the stuff that was in there. And our sons were going, we're not like that mom. So they quit reading it. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of my feeling, but honestly, since our sex life was great, I wasn't reading mm-hmm. some of these books that we were recommending. We'd glance through some things, we'd find some good quotations online. And so actually reading some of the things that were in the mm-hmm. books and, and that's, we're largely reading the great sex rescue. I'm like, oh, wow.
0: How did I miss that paragraph?
2: You know? Mm-hmm. And well, I missed it
0: too. I missed it too. I used to recommend all these books as well. So that's what a lot of the
2: honestly, I think the religion Mm -hmm. professors are doing too. They're not reading these books, they have thousands of books and they peruse things here and there. They have a resource in their library. They get a book that they hand out to those who come to them saying, I'm struggling with sexual addiction, but they haven't necessarily read it themselves. And most of the ones that I've found that have solid skeletons of how to overcome sexual issues or struggles or something like that, but that don't have any of those racy or raunchy illustrations, Mm -hmm. they're kind of dry. Mm -hmm. So we, we struggle between what's going to keep them reading and things that have stories that then are counterproductive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So how do you think now the class that you're going to be teaching begins in January, right? So it's not running right right now. Mm -hmm. Right. We just teach it winter semester. Okay. So are you excited about starting up with something new this year then?
2: (laughs) Yes, I think it's going to be really fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the students are going to enjoy reading the great sex rescue and it's going to be revolutionary for a lot of them Mm -hmm. because I anticipate how so many of the girls typically will say, I don't know why I'm such a sexual person and reading Mm -hmm. the great sex rescue can help them to realize, Oh God actually made me that way. And it's not evil or Mm -hmm. disgusting.
0: Yeah, I think there is a real generational divide in that, you know, millennial and, and I say Gen Z, I guess Americans say Gen Z, but whatever. <laughs> um, uh, you know, millennial and Gen Z women are growing up in a culture where um, their sexuality is actually praised, not not necessarily in the church, but in the wider culture, whereas Gen X, boomer women, we grew up where it was still assumed that the guy was the more sexual in the secular world, it isn't really assumed that the guy is the more secu- sexual in the same way anymore. And so I think Gen, Z and millennial women are growing up feeling a lot more sexual, but then in the church, they're told that's weird.
1: Exactly. And so there's
0: this disconnect, especially that these generations are going through, and I think a lot of the authors who are writing this stuff are all boomers, and they have no idea <laughs> what, right. what the younger women are experiencing.
2: Things have changed so much, but um, I think all generations are impacted by the Mm -hmm. immersion in, you know, you walk through the grocery store, there's Cosmo with 50 Mm -hmm. positions, your partner is dying for you to try kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And honestly, I look at that and I'm just like, Oh, come on. The reason why they're putting that stuff out there is because it sells to people because they're bored and dissatisfied in their sex lives because Mm -hmm. they don't have that genuine, deep love relationship. They're being told, do this with whatever partner until it blows your eyeballs out. And, And it just isn't supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be wild thrills and positions. It's supposed to be connectedness. Mm -hmm. community, a deep love and sacrifice for one another, that that's what makes things beautiful in godly Mm -hmm. sex. But we're told you can have being a sexual being and have mind-blowing sex outside of marriage in ungodly ways, or you can be boring missionary position in marriage. Mm -hmm. And those are your only two options as a young person. So A lot of young people are struggling, trying to go back and forth between the two. And honestly, I've just seen it tragically over the decades as I've worked in youth ministry that I'll watch these young people that are leading out in ministry. They're apparently Mm -hmm. on fire for Jesus. And then five, 10 years later, I catch up with them and they're disillusioned. They've lost their Christian experience completely. And when they're honest, they'll say, I was struggling with sexual addiction that whole time. And it was all a farce, it was all hollow. I kept trying and trying and trying to be the perfect non-sexual person that I was supposed to be, that I thought Mm -hmm. that God wanted me to be, until I just gave up and threw it all out because I couldn't become that person. Instead of realizing that was never God's ideal in the first place, he wants us to be sexual beings. There's nothing sinful about being a sexual being, and you can be Mm -hmm. a sexual being and be pure both in mm-hmm. marriage and outside of
0: marriage. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think what's interesting too, about what you said is, you know, um, in the secular world, the idea is you get hotter and hotter sex by trying all these new positions because what they're missing is really intimacy. And, and we're so proud because we're Christians and we understand that supposedly. But when you look at our books, they don't stress intimacy either. What they stress is duty and obligation right As and if so they're
2: afraid that women won't give their husbands sex if they're not told that
0: it's their christian obligation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they at heart don't think women are sexual so they think the only way to get women to have sex is to threaten them or bribe them or manipulate or coerce them and so we're still missing out on intimacy yeah you know? we don't go back to the
2: creation narrative where mm-hmm. we realize male and female created he them and they were made in his image you know i i just heard it preached while well, Adam was created first. And then he named the animals and that was to show he had dominion. And then he named Eve and mm-hmm. until I spoke to one of my seminary professors. And I'm like, what about this? And he said, Nicole, creation goes from incomplete to complete from lower to higher. Mm-hmm. So how could Adam be created higher than Eve Are the elephants above Adam and the fish above the elephants. Mm-hmm. And, and it just dawned on me. And he said, It's not that Eve is higher than Adam, but Adam cannot show the image of God completely until he has one like himself to love. You cannot love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself until you have a neighbor as yourself, which Mm -hmm. in itself negates the idea that Eve is below him. He has to have Mm -hmm. someone like himself to love, and that images the triune love of God, how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not in a pecking order. If the universe is structured according to a pecking order, then love at its very best is about power and Jesus, you know, having power over others. And Jesus didn't even die out of love for us. At, at best, it was love for his father because his father said, you've got to do this. And at worst, it was a fated. I have no option. I was told to, and that's the way the universe runs. So people think that this this lie that the the Godhead is a pecking order is innocuous, but it's not. It's deadly because it shows love to be what Satan argued it to be in the garden when he told Eve, Mm -hmm. has God said you can't have all the fruit? Because he knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll become as gods. He was saying that God is a pecking order, that he keeps the top dog position for himself and he doesn't Mm want to share power. so it's just such a misrepresentation of the character of god and when we tell people your marriage is supposed to be like that too we destroy the seed of true love true community
0: i love that well that is a great place to end thank you so much i'm so glad that you found the great sex rescue helpful and it was so encouraging to start the dialogue with you by email just to know that that we're making a difference in seminaries too but uh I love that. That that was profound. I'm going to be I'm going to be thinking about what you shared at the end there for a while. So thank you so much for being here Nicole. Where can people find you and especially where can they find your books? I guess they'd be wonderful Christmas gifts. This is a great time of year to look into them. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, um, the books are really all about the character of God, how he empties himself taking the form of a servant he uses power to lift others up not to crush others down. I've tried to write it in a context of the way that Moses and Joshua and Caleb would explain to their children you know, how much would they understand, but it's, it's just been honestly such an exciting journey. And so many people tell me that they love the books and are learning about the character of God and falling in love with him and healing from abuse and from trauma. So you can find them on Amazon. You can look up Nicole Parker books. It's the Tales of the Exodus series. So there are five published right now and a sixth one should be available in about a week.
0: So congratulations.
2: Faith Roots, Humble Stones, Wings of Love, Joseph's Bones. Those four cover the story of the children of Joshua and Caleb in egypt as they're grappling with why does a god of love leave us here in slavery and they go through the plagues the passover then the one that's coming out is desert glory and the final one in the series i actually wrote first is called sanctuary light and that's the gospel in the sanctuary service in the you know as they're out in the wilderness so the books just take you through the the plagues the passover the exodus life in the
0: wilderness and show the character of god
2: and how he uses power
0: Awesome. Well, I will put links to all of that in the podcast notes for this, so you can find them. And thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed
2: sharing with you and listening to you. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Nicole, for being with us. And I like to end the podcast with just some encouragement that comes into me because seriously, I need some encouragement. Um, And this is a new review for the great sex rescue that came in on Amazon. So Jenny writes, I am a generation Xer just like me, I guess, who grew up in the evangelical world. Suffice it to say that I heard, ingested, and believed every single lie that this book outlines. Furthermore, I suffered dreadfully in nearly all the ways this book addresses as a result of those lies. I never could reconcile Jesus with the sex teachings of a hierarchical evangelicalism that left myself and millions of other women objectified and used up even as we still drank the Kool-Aid for years, thinking it would somehow free us before the living hell became too awful to deny anymore. As it turns out, there is a love that sets us all free, men included, and Egrich and his ilk ain't it, friends. If you value solid research over a bunch of heated emotion and theological backscratching, this is your book. I love that so much, and... For those of you who who aren't part of my social media on Facebook this week, there's been some incredible discussions about the problems with how we talk about modesty and lust in the evangelical community. So head on over to Facebook. We will be back next week for the last Bare Marriage Podcast of the year. So listen in. I would love to get to a million downloads before the end of the year. That would be an awesome Christmas present. So thank you so much for joining me. And again, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.